Well, you've heard a lot of good gospel story this morning uh, in terms of just hearing from the different passages that have been read to us from Matthew and Luke specifically that give us the biblical story, the, the foundation of who Jesus is and what his purpose was. And if you listen, you really listen to what the writers are telling us, these writers inspired by the Holy Spirit, they're laying out a framework for the incarnation. They're laying out a framework for the, the why, the what, and the how. And if you listen closely, especially in the Matthew passage that Jack read, you heard why, why, why the angel announced this message to Joseph. The angel said, this child was coming who was born of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, he's going to do something very specific. He's going to save his people from their sins. When we sing, O Holy Night, did you catch the lyric? O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Now, and then it begins to tell us why that happens. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. And then the song lets us, the soul feels its worth in the presence of Christ. In the reality and truth of Christ, we see ourselves. And then what is the thrill of hope? That the Savior is coming and a weary world rejoices at the reality of it. So not just about a nice season of gift exchange and this or that or the other, but there is a gospel truth present here this morning that I'm going to spend just the next few moments talking about when we think about Jesus coming into the world. Today, December the 25th, the day that the whole world will celebrate Christmas, it is a day remarkable to Christians because whether or not Jesus was born on the 25th is, very, is really immaterial. That he was born is primary. Why he was born is primary. He was born to save sinners such as us, to rescue us from sin and death, and to bring us from the brink of utter destruction that we might have eternal life. And so that for the Christian, for those believing in Christ, Merry Christmas is not merely a phrase. It's not a trite saying. It can become those things. But for us who truly believe in Christ, Merry Christmas is we rejoice, we celebrate, we are married today, not because we got presents or even saw family, but because Christ has come, has rescued, is reigning, and will return. And that's the hope of Christmas. This morning, <laughs> I'm going to read a couple of verses out of the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bible with you and you'd like to turn there, it's Hebrews chapter 12. And this may seem an odd passage to look at on Christmas Day, and yet I think it quite fitting given the reality of what Jesus came to the earth to do. Hebrews chapter 12, looking specifically at the first two verses here in chapter 12, and we'll stop right there. But the, writer, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to stop right there 
Because when we think about this season, what this holiday, this holy day, this day that we celebrate represents, we could find no better summation of it than that right there, what the writer of Hebrews does for us. He lays out exactly why Jesus came, exactly why we sing songs to Him this morning, exactly why we celebrate, and exactly why if you take all the cultural aspects of Christmas out of it and you just stick with the story and the gift of Christ, it is worth celebrating. In fact, we should be celebrating every time we gather together as Christians in corporate worship and in private. But what you have here in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to set the context here in just a moment. What you have here is what we would call, what theologians have through the centuries called the great exchange. Jesus took something from us, which we know by definition here, our sin, our death, all that was defiled in us, and took it upon himself and gave us his righteousness. So he clothed us in everlasting life while receiving our penalty of death in himself. The, the word that we use to describe that is called the gospel. Another way of calling the gospel is to call it the great exchange, the exchange of righteousness for our death and our death for his righteousness. That's exactly why he was born. That's exactly what the angel told Joseph he would do. So Joseph, the angel says to Joseph, he will, now I want you to capture this. This is a promise. He will save his people from their sins. Not he might, he will make it possible. This is what he will do. In Hebrews, this passage here, then, then it goes on, but that little, those two little verses capture that promise. It's exactly what Jesus did do. So when we're looking at this, we're looking at, if we think in terms of, of the terminology we're using this season, the terminology of gift, we think of the exchanging gifts. Jesus has exchanged his righteousness for our death. And we think about Jesus, who is himself, the gift of life. And what does he give us? He doesn't just give us a gift. He gives us himself. No greater gift have you ever been given, if you're in Christ this morning, than that right there. And so when you look at chapter 12, those two verses we just read, contextually, it's talking about something that we're going to call incarnational life. So what does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to live for Christ? And what are the implications of that? And why does that even happen? And why is that important at Christmas time? Well, when we're looking at the incarnational life, one of the things we can say about the incarnation, the coming of Christ in the flesh, that's what I mean by incarnation, describing the coming of Christ in the flesh. The incarnation calls us to a life of imitation. It's calling us to a life of holiness. Why did I choose those two verses out of all the Bible? I chose them because of what they state and where they come in the Bible. If you go, if you let your eyes glance above those two verses, Hebrews 11 will be very familiar to many of you who have, who have grown up as Christians or have become Christians, have read the book of Hebrews. It's what we call the hall of faith. And it begins describing people in Scripture, primarily the Old Testament, of men and women who lived by faith in Yahweh, who lived by faith in God. And so as we're looking at what does it mean to, to live for God or what does the incarnation do, it, it's bringing us into what we'd call the incarnational life, the life of imitation, the, the, the life of holiness. That's why verse 12, or chapter 12 rather, begins in verse 1, therefore, You've often heard me say, if you've worshipped at the chapel, what is the therefore, therefore? It's, it's looking back to chapter 11. 
It's, it's looking back to this great cloud of witnesses. What is their worth? What is their value? What do they do for us? They show us what it means to genuinely believe and have faith and to live that out. And often that means at great expense to ourselves. So one of the messages of Christmas is we can rejoice. We can celebrate. But the life of imitation calls us to sacrifice. The life of imitation calls us to holiness. So he's looking back at this great cloud of witnesses. I love that he uses that word there, witness. There are implications to that. Uh, what does witness mean? It's somebody who sees something, goes watching. That could mean that. That's what a witness is, somebody who, uh, who, is, who sees something. But in the Greek, that word has dual meaning. It can mean that, but it can also mean testimony, to bear testimony to give testimony to. It's actually the word that we get our word martyr from. And it means to, so when we're talking about this great cloud of witnesses, what is one of the things that the writer is getting at is this great cloud of people who have borne testimony before us, the testimony we have. In fact, it's the testimony that you heard as our elders here at the chapel read to you from Matthew and Luke this morning. You heard testimony to the birth and purpose of Christ. And so when we think about one of the gifts that God gives us is the gift of testimony. It's the gift of testimony of Scripture that we have that's authoritative and complete. It's the testimony of brothers and sisters who've come before us, who can bear witness to us about the reality and truth of the gospel. It's the testimony of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our own souls as we walk in the truth. And this is a unique and wonderful gift of God, because you know what it reminds us? That we live in community as believers, that we walk as the communion of the saints, linked arms, and that we bear burdens. We live life together. We share truth together. We pick each other up when we're down. We do all these things. Why? Because Christ has come and made a new community of us people and given us a new heart and a new home and a new purpose. So when you read this, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there's a response here. There's, there's a call to us to do something with it. Like we don't just look and read this testimony. It's easy to look at Hebrews 11. If you haven't read it in a while, I'd encourage you today at some point, go back and reread it. And look at really these, you know, wonderful, magnificent things that people have done by faith. But that has to lead somewhere right? It has, to, it has to go somewhere. It can't stay cerebral. It can't just stay in the mind. And so in response to that, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So one of the first things that we do in response to the testimony of Christ, in response to the testimony of truth, is to put off the sin and hindrances and the things that would draw us away from Him. One of the best things we can do as believers in the Lord this morning and in response to the Christian message is to constantly reflect the truth of God's Word back to the inside of who we are and ask, how can I put off more of the flesh in the world and put on Christ more? Right? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What is our response to this? And so when we're looking at the incarnation that is the coming of Christ in the flesh, we are looking at how, do, how are we compelled more and more to constantly put off sin, the sins that so easily beset. I love the way he uses this. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. He understands the nature of sin, 
But the weights there he's talking about will be something that hinders, that keeps you from moving in the direction you want to go. In exercise and late lifting, late, wait, lift, wait, whatever I said, I said late lifting. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, weight lifting, and uh, weight lifting, you use resistance to build strength. And that's kind of the picture here is there are, there are weights in the world that try to resist the work of Christ in our minds and hearts. And so we're constantly to be putting those things off, to putting those things off, identifying and putting those things off so that we grow in the truth of who Jesus is. So our response to the witness is to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely that would pull us away from Jesus. So that's to put off. What is the positive aspect of this? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's what he says, verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word endure is a beautiful word because it calls us to move forward when it's hard, when it's not easy, when it's painful, when it requires much of us. And it reminds us, I love he uses the imagery of a race, the race that, that is set before us. So we are all on a pathway, but listen, this is not a pathway that is where we're just twisting in the wind. It has been set before us. You know what that reminds us of? That the coming of Christ, and he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That means the race that is set before us, we do not run alone. We do not run by ourselves. We run with God's people and with Christ in us. And so when we run this race, why do we endure? We endure because of Christ in us. We endure because of God's people around us. We endure because we've been given His righteousness. And so we are faithful in spite of our circumstances. And so the incarnation, what's it doing? It's inviting us to stand firm in the power of Christ, to put off sin, to run the race with endurance, to be faithful so when we think about uh, Christmas, one of the songs we sing is, Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, because it captures the message of the incarnation, is to come and live in and with for Christ. And then he says, looking, so, so, so he's, he's told us, all right, you're, you have the witness, what are you to do? This is the negative, you put off sin, the positive is you, you run with endurance. Now, how do we do those things? Those things don't just happen in a vacuum. How, does those, how, do, how, do, how are those things accomplished? Prescription right here. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's interesting here. So if I could use a, if I could use a very modern word, the word success, very popular, a word we hear a lot. We want to be successful. Well, when it comes to the Christian life, success is found in looking to Jesus, not in building our own strength, not in building our own intellect, not in using our own savvy. It's looking to Christ, looking to Jesus. That's how the writer here describes it. Looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. But it's interesting. <clears throat> We've just been told about a great cloud of witnesses, but we're not told to look to them. We're, we remember their testimony we're inspired by their testimony. We're encouraged by their testimony. But the primary object that we are to look to is Christ, Christ risen, Christ crucified, Christ risen, the incarnated God in the flesh. That's who we're to look to, to Jesus. So we don't look to witnesses in the same way that we look to Christ because of who he is, because of his birth. But the writer here describes him as founder and perfecter of our faith, founder, the originator, the, the leader, 
He's the one that he has validated the faith. Faith existed before Christ came, but Christ came and sealed that faith and said, your faith is in me or is in the Father through me, through the Son. And so in that sense, he's the founder. He's the originator. He's the leader. There is no faith outside of Christ. This morning, there's no more important truth I could tell you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no way to the Father except through Him. And that's what the author of Hebrews is kind of getting at. He's the founder. He's the one who sets the parameters. This is how we must run the race is looking to Jesus. We will not run the race set before us with endurance if we don't look to Jesus. We will get sidetracked really quickly and easily. And so he's the founder, but he's the perfecter. What a beautiful word, the perfecter of our faith. He brings it all to completion. He is the object of faith because in him all things come together. So when we look at the perfecter of our faith, the two benchmarks that we see in Scripture that bring it, make it so is the incarnation, the coming of Christ as a baby, living his life, and the cross Christ dying on the cross for the sin of his people that we might be raised up with him. And so when we think about the perfecter, he brings the perfection that only he can bring that, Chris, that we celebrate here at Christmas time. Now, why would I mention the cross when we're talking about the Christmas season and the incarnation? Because we have to understand that's exactly why Jesus was born. If ever we said of anyone, he or she was born to die, we say it of Christ. He was born to die. He was born to be the sacrificial lamb. He was born to exchange places with us. And the cross was hard. It was painful. But look at how the writer here describes it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For Christ, what is the joy, the joy of Christmas? <laughs> what is the joy in, in the resurrection And we celebrate that? The joy is this, that where death reigned, life was given. Where people lived lost, they were found. That where hopelessness abounded, hope was restored. And so looking past the event itself, why did Jesus endure the cross with joy? Because we can't, we as humans see this. Jesus, who is God, the Son, is able to see past the event to the ripple effect of the event. You are here this morning, if you are in Christ, because of the ripple effect of the cross. And so the shame he despised, that's what we're told. Despising the shame. He did not let himself be dissuaded by shame. He did not let himself be dissuaded by Satan. He took on all that went with the cross and restored humans, his people, to their place with the Lord. In fact, when it talks about him despising the shame, I want us to understand something. I'm not trying to be too graphic. I know there were young ears here. Jesus hung on a cross in the most graphic. It was torturous, and he was shamed. His All his clothing had been removed, and he was there to be the object of scorn. But what... The world and Satan did not understand is that in the moment that Jesus dies, he's revealed as the Son of God, and it is a glorious moment where when God places the sin of humans onto Christ, 
that this great exchange is occurring. And so why did he despise the shame? Because to him, it was taking away the shame of his people and giving us dignity yet again. It ends with this, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why mention that? Well, the right hand in Scripture is the place of honor, the place of power. It's the place of supreme authority. It's making a statement about Jesus in his person, that Jesus is the supreme authoritative leader, the one who is honored by the Father. He is the right and just judge. He is the one who came and gave himself for the sin of his people that we might be able to celebrate in freedom and newness. And so when we think about or we use that phrase, Merry Christmas or, uh, you know, or have a, have a merry season or however, however people might say it to you, well, Christmas is merry literally because Jesus lived, died, and gave his life. Those are the re- that's the reason. And, and anything beyond that is, 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 you know, I have no problems with all the cultural stuff that happens at the holiday as long as we who, who trust in Christ keep this point central. That when, if everything else falls away, if we have nothing else to do but simply to get together on a brisk December day, on a Sunday, and sing and pray and preach and praise because Jesus has come and given us life, it is worth it. It is a, it is a gift worth celebrating. And so I hope you have a great day today. I hope when you leave here, your day is filled with ease and rest good food, all those things. I really do. But what I really hope, what I truly hope, is that the truth of who Christ is weighs heavy on us today. And that even in all our celebrations, we are overcome with the joy in whatever struggles we may be dealing with, that, that Christ has come, has given himself, has risen, is reigning, and will return again one day soon. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together. I thank you for these words from Hebrews uh, that are so rich to us, and we could go on expounding them. God, thank you for your Son. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for everything for which it stands. And I pray that today as we leave here that the morsels that we've eaten would stay rich on our tongues and in our minds and hearts. Thank you for all that you do and have done and will do. Continue to prepare us for the day of Christ Jesus. Continue to give us joy, unlooked for, and encouragement in the Lord. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.